Hello and welcome to the Position 6 podcast. My name is Dan Offen, aka Mr Big Jams. In this show, I get to know people involved in the Dota 2 scene and I talk to them about everything Dota related, aside from actually spending 45 minutes hitting creeps to lose a game. This is episode 6 and I think I've probably now done too many episodes to remind you of all my previous guests, but they're all wonderful and I love them all, so head back and check them out now if you haven't already. I really enjoyed last week's episode with Charlie Yang, which I think is a really fascinating look at the business side of esports, as well as what it means to be a team manager. So please do go back to check that out if you haven't already. This week's episode is with the caster, occasional coach and player, Blitz. One of the best known voices in Dota, Blitz has appeared at multiple internationals and at pretty much every major across the world. He's also spent time coaching Team Liquid, Digital Chaos and Planet Odd, and has won tournaments in Korea as a player as a part of Team Zephyr. The interview will start after this song. So did you manage to catch any of the minor? Yeah, I caught a good portion of the games. Because I'm kind of interested because it's the first Valve-sponsored big tournament that's had an exclusion from big teams. Do you think it's a good thing, that? Uh, I think it's good because there's obviously a lot on the line. Like Part of the problem is that because we have TI, money doesn't really drive people or viewership so much, I think, unless it's like an exceedingly high number. So you've got to kind of have some kind of gimmick. And the ability to play at one of the majors is a pretty good one, I'd say. I think it makes it a more enjoyable experience overall. I think it was quite interesting just to see a lot of teams that you wouldn't see necessarily, because a lot of those teams, they don't necessarily always compete against each other because they compete generally regionally. Yeah, it's good all around. It's good for teams. It's good for talent too. Like Moxie got an opportunity as well at something like this. I was going to ask about the broadcasting actually, because I really enjoyed it. But I think some people could have maybe interpreted it as disrespectful that it was mainly comedic. Do you agree with that? Or do you think it was the right thing for the tournament? I think something that I dislike about Dota is that everything is geared towards being as serious as possible. Or that uh, everything has to have like a pro analysis or spin on it or something. At the end of the day... We're an entertainment business, right? Like the entire mm-hmm. point is, it, like sometimes we're trying to teach you, but for the most part, it's to try to keep you entertained. Yeah. So, uh, like the cast that people remember about me aren't the ones where I talk about how to like deal with waves and how to deal with split push and pressure and stuff like that. It's <laughs> going to be the games that are the most hype and the ones that I entertain yeah. you the most. Are you doing a lot of casting at the moment? Is it something that you're enjoying right now? It's a lot of travel but still kind of my dream job. So it's hard to complain too much about the situation that I'm in. Is the travel the hardest part of it? Yeah. I mean, uh, so I don't know how much you follow Dota, but there is Merlini who recently quit yeah. to become a programmer in Seattle. Uh, like he was telling me that the best part about not doing Dota anymore is just having some semblance of normal life. Like even though it's really different and he has to work at nine to five, he says it's better because he can actually make plans. Like if he wants to get a pet or something, he can. He has a stable like place to live. He can have a stable relationship. Like there's just more things to it. Cause like I, I don't see any of my friends. Like I, I don't have any friends aside from the ones that I kept within Dota. <laughs> Fair so enough. After a while, you can't really make plans, right? Like I've lo- I haven't been able to make it to a single wedding for any of my close college friends. I can understand why that'd be really difficult. I think. Looking forward to future events um, on Kuala Lumpur. We've now got a full complement of teams with Tigers joining after the minor. Do you have any predictions for the event? It should be an interesting one. I think like EG and Forward, for example, they played at Hamburg and they were okay, but they didn't have two of their better players. 
probably EG's most important player. So I think it'll be interesting to see them. I'm really hyped to see like Fnatic play. I think Fnatic will do pretty well. I'm excited to see because they've not they weren't at ESL. Yeah, exactly. They're a almost a super team from players that I've loved across various different regions all coming together. Yeah, I'd agree. And I really like, uh, I mean, I like a lot of the lineups there. I think LGD is a really good team. I think Vici obviously is very strong. They had a very good claim to winning Hamburg. Uh, This should be a pretty stacked competitive tournament. I think it's almost the most stacked it's ever been. Would you agree with that as an idea? That Dota's got so good now over and over in time that last international felt really stacked. And now this feels even more so. Yeah, I mean, obviously we don't have the TI champs, so it's hard to make that Mm -hmm. assertion like 100%. But it is a very good tournament. Aside from OG, I don't really see anybody really missing here. Well, there's Liquid as well, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. But they're taking a break, I think. So, Do you think that puts a dampener on things, the missing OG and Liquid? They've always been the most successful teams, especially at this period. I think it's missing them is a bit of a shame. Do you think it's still going to be as good without them? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it'll be even more hype when they come back. I, I think it's fine overall. Have you been enjoying the new DPC season format so far? Yeah, I think it's it's better in some ways. It's like less hectic and easier mm-hmm. to like follow and stuff like that. Because last year it felt like there was just something at all times, and it for yeah. many ways it felt a little bit oversaturated. Of course, it's good for the scene because there are a lot of opportunities, but it also felt weird like from a talent perspective because the same people just kept working <laughs> the same events over and over again, and the old DPC. Like the one last year with a lot more events was supposed to be, okay, well, now we have a lot more room for some of the better talents, but everyone just kept doing the same things over and over. Whereas like, as weird as it sounds, it seems as though people are more willing to take a risk on some other talents. What are the new exciting talents that you think are being taken a risk on at the moment? I like Moxie. I think Moxie is mm-hmm. quite good. She's probably the biggest up and comer that I've seen so far. Was Dream League her first major tournament? She did something else as well. She did something called WSOE in Vegas or something. Oh yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. I think she's. I think she's got kind of a tough road ahead, but I think that she's pretty good. And then I, I like seeing like Bulldog do stuff too. Obviously, you've been a a player, and we'll talk about that in, uh, in a bit. But do you think there's a importance of? pro players stepping more into casting. Do you like seeing pro players in there or do you think it's it's something that lacks sometimes from their casting? I think it's a mix. Like if you're a pro and you're very charismatic, then it's like a pretty unbeatable combination. Because let's say like I say the same thing that somebody else would. Like let's say me and Bulldog say the exact same thing regarding the game. Mm -hmm. Obviously he'll just have more credibility regarding it. Even if my knowledge might be more up to date, for example. Yeah. So that in that regard, like you, you have this perception thing about it in Dota. But at the same time, like I think that there have been plenty of instances where players have tried casting and it hasn't gone as well because it's still a talent. Like broadcast is still a talent. Like you're not gonna put every single pro on a panel and it's gonna magically work out. But the ones that do like succeed are are gonna succeed hard. Like for example, PPD. If you ever wanted to cast, like he would, he'd kill. Yeah, you'd be really good. good job yeah. every time. And then you have guys like BSJ, which, you know, he just played at the recent minor. He's mm-hmm. a very good broadcast talent because he's very self-assured and he's not afraid of being on a broadcast and being willing to, like, be made fun of and stuff like that. And he kind of understands something about entertainment value because a lot of these guys that cast, they cast from the perspective of, like, these are my fellow competitors, so I can't criticize them and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to play it really safe. 
I've often noticed that about pro player because that's kind of why I asked the question about pro playing casting is often it is very knowledgeable, but almost too knowledgeable if that makes any sense that they can often skip out things or not want to criticize people or I think there's a there's a balance to be found in between because they talk in the language of pros rather than the language of normal people I suppose yeah I do I do think like PPD Kyle BSJ all those guys are fantastic yeah they're very strong you wouldn't even realize I mean you'd obviously realize they're pros because they've got huge amounts of experience but they you wouldn't you'd think they're broadcasters from the way yeah, they speak, yeah. they're think. very very good at what they do so kind of talking, I suppose, about you as a, why did you step away from playing? Was it talent or did you feel that it wasn't the place for you? So when I went to Korea originally, I got offered by Febby, who saw Maneski now, but it was like, it was a good time. Like I, I mean, the main reason we were in Korea for as long as we were was because Perch offered to come being the great person <laughs> slash friend that he is. And I was like, okay, sure. We'll try to figure something out around it. And it was a good experience. Like my entire family, because obviously I'm Korean, they really enjoyed watching me play and stuff like that. Like our family helped me set up everything in Korea. Like they helped us get accommodated. It was like my uncle's place that we stayed at for our, our uh, team house. And it was like really cool getting to know more about my home country and like my ethnic roots and all that and being able to share that with the other guys. Had you been to Korea before that? Yeah, when I was like nine. It's a bit okay. different going as an adult. And, and it's like a cool experience that not a lot of people have, right? Just live abroad for a year in a really foreign country. Did you decide to step away from playing for any particular reason? I like I, I played a bunch of solo queue. I had a good time. I was talking to Mad after we were debating playing together. I don't know if he even remembers that. That was like <laughs> it was like four years ago or something like that. Because we got along really well. And I was thinking about it for a bit, like playing professionally and stuff like that. And I just thought to myself, like, I can't do it. I have a lot of problems with nerves and uh, yeah. being in the public eye and stuff and which is ironic considering my job choice, but I, I just probably Yeah, I was like, I can't do this. This just isn't really my thing. Fair enough. But you decided to be a coach for a long time. Um, was that something you enjoyed doing? Yeah, it was like weird how that happened, but it was very enjoyable. Like Liquid and DC were good times overall. Why would you say it's weird how that happened? Oh, I mean, I was, I remember it was like, I was watching this tournament, this Mars TV land or something at like 4 a.m. in Germany. I was working at Join Dota at the time. And Kuro, who I don't even remember how I had him added on my friends list. I think we played like a party game with Mati or something. He messages me and he says, do you have a ticket for this? So I was like, yeah, you can come watch it with me. So we're just watching it. We're like typing back and forth. I'm asking how his team's going. And he's like, it's pretty stressful. And we're just kind of shooting the shit. He asked me some stuff about Dota. I tell him like my general thoughts. Offer him like some just like pretty general advice about how he could do his team better. And then all of a sudden, he's like, hey, you want to coach? And I was like, what? It's like, I don't know more about Dota. And he's like, that doesn't matter. He's like, I just need a different perspective. And it'd be good to have somebody enable me. So I was like, okay. And he's like, anything that you need to learn about Dota, I'll teach you so that you can view the way the game the way that I view the game. That's really interesting as an idea, actually. Yeah. So I was just like, okay, of course, I'm not going to pass that opportunity up, right? So I was like, sure, I'll do it. Then all of a sudden, like the next day, I was just their coach. Do you think that made you quite a different coach to all the other coaches around? That do you think what was do you think you brought to the role of coach? I suppose is the question. Uh, I think I was an easygoing guy that knew when to be an asshole, but probably wasn't enough of an asshole sometimes for Kuro's liking. Because obviously it sounds like what he needed was just an outside voice, someone to be the better version of himself, I suppose. 
Yeah, I mean, he he has a lot on his plate, and he's the type of person that does that to himself. He sometimes has a hard time like letting go of responsibility. He'll want to do everything himself. So it was kind of my job to like pick and choose the things that he had to let go and let me handle. Do you think that's been a big part of Kuro's? Because Kuro, I would say, probably is one of the most successful captains in Dota. I wouldn't. I don't think that's a controversial opinion. Would you say that dictatorial approach to the game is what's made him such a big success? Yeah, I mean, he's first and foremost believed in himself. That guy doesn't do anything. Like he doesn't have hobbies. He doesn't really have like he doesn't. He just kind of like lives and breathes Dota. Like if you saw the end of True Sight where they won TI and he's talking about the next patch. Like, <laughs> that wasn't done for the cameras. It's just kind of how he is. Like, when we won Epicenter, I remember we won that tournament. I was uh, casting the finals, I think, actually, and then I was pretty hyped for them. We get inside the bus, because you get a separate bus if you win the tournament. That's exciting. Part. So we're hopping in, and then he immediately just starts talking about what went wrong, like, how, why it went to game five, this AA versus out counter, like, he just immediately jumped right into it because that's all he cares about. It's like he wants his legacy to be secure. I think he really loves the spirit of competition. All those things make him a very successful captain. Do you think there's a problem with that at all? Do you think that's a perfect ideal to be that hardworking, constantly focused person? Or do you think from your experience, there's a limitation to that? I think it burns him out sometimes. And I think he would say that's a fair assessment too. Like it's tiring putting everything on yourself and not relinquishing a lot of wiggle room it's like which is why i think sometimes it would like benefit him to take some breaks because like he he feels like a personal responsibility i think at all times so sometimes it was hard to work with him because at times i just feel like yo you need to relax and <laughs> chill like your team's good they're all going to do the right things yeah i can understand that so on coaching a little bit more you've coached about three three teams if i'm correct in thinking one became another team so i'm not sure it counts as three but do you feel coaching is developing as a as a role within dota do you think it's an important development it's getting a lot more important than it was in the past like in the past everyone's like you don't really need it i i guess it depends on the type of captain you have and the type of personalities you have on your team like a guy like ppd i could see not needing a coach Mm. or not wanting one yeah i spoke to him about his coach coach's needs and he doesn't want coaches yeah exactly so uh whereas guys like kuro just like there are some people that find need for them like eg obviously really likes having bulba around like i i heard he had wanted to play and they gave him like they were like hey you should really coach us and kind of worked on that for a while and he came back after this ti do you think that's a issue that co- often the coaches will be the best players and they will want to go back to playing eventually like almost what happened with Seb, although obviously that worked out but I mean, you want to coach that place too it's kind of helpful because they're more current and up to date with what they know it's a weird situation because you you want your coaches to have previously played, but then it's hard to lock down full time coaches. Because if a coach is just with you, like for more than a year, your ideas kind of overlap a lot. Because your ideas become their ideas and vice versa, and it's hard to introduce new concepts because all you see is what they see, mm-hmm. and you kind of develop this echo chamber where nobody really gets any fresh ideas out. Because if, if you're talking at all times, you're telling each other the same things, you reach the same agreements. Whereas a new guy might be an asshole a little bit and say, like, this is the better way to do things. And he at least gets you to look at a different perspective. Is there an argument, therefore, to be had that coaches should almost be above players, more important than players? They're almost separated. If they're not equals, they're a higher authority. Yeah, I mean, the way that it was done on Liquid was the first day 
I was introduced, Kuro told everyone, he's my voice. So if anything is done, it's done through him. And like, you listen to him just like you would listen to me. And that, that was like a really good way to enable me, if that makes sense. Like that made my role really easy. If he said, I'm an extension of him at all times, <laughs> then suddenly I kind of became the captain. Yeah. Okay. Would you ever, you, you talk about it with some level of nostalgia, I think. Is it ever something you want to go back to coaching? Probably not. I mean, there's nostalgia because I love the community aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like you're just with your friends and you become so close because you do everything together. You, you sort of become like brothers. Like there are squabbles and fights because you're in close proximity at all times, right? Like yeah. The liquid, the old boot camp house, I had to sleep on a floor. I had to wake up, sleep like two hours, get up, cook, make sure everyone was up. Were you cooking as well? Check if practice. I did everything at that team at once. I went grocery shopping, cooking. I had to, I had to do my regular coaching stuff on top of that. <laughs> and then I also, I had to be like cook babysitter, essentially. Are you a good and cook? So, yeah, I think I'm an okay cook. Fair enough. But it was tiring at the same time. Like I didn't, it, it was one of those things that I'll look back on fondly and say like, I had a great time doing that. Like that was fun. But at the same time, it was, it wasn't, it, it was a pain and you're constantly doing something. Yeah, I can imagine. The way that Liquid operates is obviously they get a lot of success with it, but it's just through playing at all times mm. and boot camping at all times. So I think I had maybe like a month off that year. Oh, wow. Which is okay, but being sleeping on a floor half the time or having a roommate at all times and never having privacy and never seeing your girlfriend, like all of these things kind of like wear and tear you mentally. Yeah. Well, I imagine it's not... There's probably organizations you could coach for where that wouldn't be the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know how many orgs I'd work with outside of that. That makes sense. I suppose going back to kind of broadcasting, did you enjoy the international this year? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it, it was pretty hype being able to see OG do it. I was kind of getting worried because normally at a TI, there's some like weird team that just comes up and out of nowhere and dumpsters everyone. And I thought this year was going to be the most straightforward. And then all of a sudden, OG is just beating everyone. And it kind of made me hype again. Was you were expecting it to happen at all? Was there any inkling of thought that that would happen in your mind? So we were casting OG, me and Cap. We casted a lot of their games like because we casted their groups. And we were like, why are they? Because I think they were like 0-4 or something. And we're like, why are they 0-4? They're actually not bad at all. And you could see them kind of get confidence and learn some strategies that were in that were very good and solid. And I think over time, they just got more and more comfortable. There was something about them that was almost uncomfortable in a way, that they were such an odd team to watch compared to the straightforwardness of an LGD, for example, that maybe that weird experimentation helped. The thing about TI is you come in with these ideas and you can't really make these huge switches. So whoever has the best ideas about the heroes and the way to play the game is going to win. Like no-tail picking these supports that bully, that just like hardcore bully these ogres and stuff and silencers. And then uh, you get your mid player. Yeah, he's new, but you get, you just make sure he knows how to play his like role. You give him like four or five heroes, which is what they did, right? They gave him like Monkey King, Lena, Invoker, or Pugna. And th- they made the game very straightforward for themselves in that way. And yeah. their ideas happen to be the best. Like they panned out as the best. Do you think they'll come back and be as strong when they do come back? Or do you think it's a flash in the pan? I think a lot of people think it's a flash in the pan. And part of it is because they came from nowhere. It wasn't like they had a ton of prior success and were lighting the scene on fire. But I do think there's talent on that team and they're better than people will give them credit for. Like they have really smart but guys on that team. They have stable cores. Like they have a good base across the board, I think, that people don't really give them credit for. 
I think the rise of Topson's quite an interesting story out of the international, and there's always been new talent coming and filtering through. Like at the moment, we've got Nisha coming up. Do you think the ways that teams currently bed in and grow talent is the best way of doing it? Do you think that's an important part of Dota, the growth of new talent? Or do you think we need to stay with a stable group of players? Of course. I think it's really important to have constant like upheaval and stuff like that. Like um, What makes the game exciting and what inspires the next generation is when you just have random people come out of nowhere, right? What inspired me to play Dota anyways is you you see this like Navi upstart team. Like you need ways to like inspire people, and I think a lot of people got inspired to play the game once they saw Sumail, yeah. this like up and comer, just come out of nowhere, womp on kids. <laughs> like it, it's it's like it's cool stuff. Do you think there's any different way to whether the new players play the game? These new youngsters. Do you think there's a different style that they have that the old players miss almost? I think it's more that you're fearless. It's like, uh, you know, you want gymnasts to be young mm-hmm. because they're not afraid of injury and, and stuff like that. Because uh, they're like daring. They don't care. There's no consequences to your actions when you're younger. Yeah. So you just grow, you, you grow up and everything's fine. <laughs> so what you do in the past is of less importance. And I think if you go in with that, like, ah, who cares kind of attitude. I mean, it takes a kind of special person to like not give a shit at all. Like Weeha. I think the reason why Weeha is so successful is he's kept his like I don't care. I don't care what happens. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Do you think that's often why people have struggled to win a second TI, or why anyone struggled to win a second TI? Because for the second one, there's a bit more pressure because there's more expectation on you. Yeah, of course. Like I think somebody will sooner than later. But for example, I think Liquid puts so much pressure on themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, this TI. They had just won the super major, and I know Curl wants to be the first two timer. Yeah. So like that, w- and especially doing it with the exact same squad, that'd be something really special. But uh, like it builds and builds, like, and you can feel it. You get everything around you that reinforces that you were the previous champions. Like all the videos that Valve makes, you're the last thing that shows up. You holding up the Aegis, uh, you're cheered for more than the normal team because you are the defending champions. Yeah, everyone's kind of out to get you because you're a threat. And it wasn't like Liquid had the usual drop off, right? Like they came in strong again, and they were also they were strong to the end, but just not quite enough, I suppose. Maybe it didn't feel like they choked though. It just felt like they were not quite as innovative as OG. Or... Yeah, I mean, they ran out of ideas, is what I was told. Good assessment, I think. Especially if you're the same team as you were talking earlier about. What's important with coaches is them bringing in new ideas. If you're the same team for two years there's going to be a lack of ideas eventually. Yeah. So again, on broadcasting, I suppose this is more of a history question, if anything. Do you have any favorite matches or series that you've casted on? Probably TI6, E-Home versus EG game one. Okay. If I'm remembering things correctly. I think there was a TI5, C9 versus Vici lower bracket game one as well. That was really hype. That I'll always remember. Okay. What, what particularly happened in that one that will make you always remember it? I just had a really good time. It was like FY was playing Rubik. They were against a Phoenix SF. Fada was playing SF. FY was playing Rubik, and he just kept stealing stuff. I mean, it was the first time I had seen Egg get stolen by <laughs> Phoenix, just because Fire Spirits are an instant cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it was just really hype. I, it was the first time like I really felt the crowd, and it was one of the first hype casts that I got to do with Cap because I think TI five. Did I cast TI5 a lot? Yeah, I casted a lot of TI5 with LD and somebody else. I don't think I got to cast with Cap very much. No. So being able to do that with Cap 
because he's that's my bro. Is he you your know? favorite person to cast with, Cap? I mean, that guy's just my favorite person. <laughs> so it's it's a bit uh, it's it's hard to not think of like my fondest memories in cast. I mean, he's probably the only reason I'm continuing casting. Oh, I'm really? Honest. Would you quit if there, there wasn't? Is there just too much traveling, too much upheaval? Would you go the Merlini route and quit if there were the people? Yeah, for sure. I I read some article about Ben Wallace, who used to be an NBA player. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, like, the thing that hits you hardest is once you leave the game, the community leaves too. Like, people stop calling you. And I'm sure it's not because it's not because you're famous or anything. It's just that you don't really see each other. So you have to make a ton of effort. And gamers aren't the types to, like, go out of their way to be like, hey, what are you like? Naturally, a lot of us are introverts. <laughs> But also it's a relevancy thing. Just if you're not constantly popping up on their screens or in their minds, then unless you're very close personal friends, then the people in your periphery you won't see anymore. That's, yeah, exactly. I've just left the comedy scene, for example. I used to be a comedian for a long time, and I don't see those people anymore, which is a shame. And so I can understand where you're coming from. I mean, at some point you were probably very close, and you talked a lot and shared similar aspirations and stuff. And it feels real, because it is, but inevitably what ends up happening is you just fall out of touch and it's not anyone's fault really it, it takes effort from both sides it's not like it's on them to keep up with you and vice versa just this is the only community that i've ever known for good or worse right like i've been doing dota for fuck me it's been like 10 years or something that i've been playing this game it's a long time these are the people that i've made long-lasting friendships with so if i if i quit it then that's like the end of that yeah would you ever want to move into more of a back office role either team management or working for an organization i thought about that too potentially i guess it's wait to see what sort of opportunities arise i can't imagine myself casting for that much longer i say that all the time but now it's kind of like especially after merlini had left and everything that sort of is happening behind the scenes and stuff uh, mm-hmm. i kind of want to start taking a step back and seeing what the next step is so you obviously now see a long-term future in esports which is great because i think that that will exist how do you see esports or dota specifically kind of the major developments how what do you think of the small things that are occurring now that will become bigger in the future i'm not sure because it's it's like more controlled by valve than it is by anything yeah i guess i i guess i, I always wait to see what they do with ti and what direction that goes in like the decision to move it to china abroad is a pretty big one. The way that they're handling majors and minors, I think, is a lot better. Like, there's always improvement on Valve side. Like, the the thing I like about it is that even though they control a lot, they're hands on enough where I think that the the direction that they set is good, and they're hands off enough where it doesn't feel like things are only run through them. Yeah. Do you think it's a problem because obviously Valve are co- they're not they're a company, but they're a relatively nice company. Do you think? Because what I have always seen as a problem with esports is that. It's run by companies. It's marketing rather than uh, sports, in a way. Um, Which, that's the beauty of Dota, is that the players have literally all the power, yeah, for better and worse. Uh, would you say that it's a player power thing rather than Valve are just trying to appease the players? And Valve's just always been very, very good to players overall. Like They always make sure that the players are put above anything, which I think is really important. Are there any... Exciting new players that you're excited about to see at Kuala Lumpur? Kind of new people in teams that people wouldn't necessarily be talking about now? Watching this most recent major, I thought In Your Dream was quite a good player. He's the two position. On JStorm, a lot of people don't know, but I think March is a very talented captain that brings like some wild ideas. And the guy 
takes like a two and a half year leave for military and then immediately qualifies for a major. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's incredible in my opinion. Like that that tells you something. And it's not like any of those players independently, aside from like maybe Mu, have had a ton of success. Yeah. So seeing him kind of take that like ragtag group together and just being like, okay, we're going to immediately make it to the major, I think <laughs> is a really cool sign. I really like Alliance's squad. Like, I think it's an interesting team. I think there's a lot of talent on it. The Han converts as a whole seem to be succeeding left and right. So why not them? I spoke to Insane. I think they're a really exciting team. They, they've struggled a little bit recently, though, I'd say. I'd like to see them kick on in the major. Yeah, I mean, it would just be exciting to see like a team that decided to stick together uh, kind of make it. I always root for teams like that. Do you think there's too much instability or was it just it's nice to see? Uh, I think it's cool. Like I like the idea of guys becoming friends and making their dreams come true, even though, you know, it doesn't always happen like that. Yeah. Are there any teams that you would you ever because what I've always noticed about Dota is that people in the scene, they don't really have to support anyone. Would you say you're a fan of any one team ever? I really, my favorite player of all time is probably DDC. Okay. So I really like whatever teams that he's on. As far as like following teams, I mean, I'll always have probably, if I had to admit to being biased at all, I'd say I was like 5% biased towards Liquid. Okay. Although a lot of Redditors would disagree and say that I love EG to death or something like that. <laughs> what do they know? Um, okay, I think we can uh, leave it there mostly. Is there anything you want to plug or mention yourself? So yeah, shout out to my sister, shout out to Sea Dog, and then shout out to, I guess, my fantasy football team so that I don't have to cosplay at TI. <laughs> How are they doing? You doing all right? I'm not last this year, so I'm probably not going to cosplay at TI. It's <laughs> good. Well done. That's probably going to be Phil, the CEO of EG, I think. Okay. What does he have to cost? But what will he do? You get to decide it for him. Uh, whoever gets first in the league decides. It might be Grant, actually. It might be Grand Grant. Grand Grant might get last. I'm pretty sure it's going to be Grant. I take that back. It's going to be Grant. <laughs> I'm talking to him uh, in a month or so, so I'll see if he agrees he's going to be last. I mean, he's almost definitely, he's one in seven. That's a terrible record. <laughs> that is terrible. That's really, really bad. Thank you for listening to the Position 6 podcast and a huge thanks to Blitz for appearing on it. Thank you all once again for your support so far. If you do want to follow me on Twitter, I can be found at Daniel Offen. That's Daniel O-F-F-E-N. And it'd be a huge help if you were to share and talk about the podcast wherever you can. I am growing, uh, but to be honest, I need whatever help I can get. So if this is content you'd like to see more of, the best way to ensure a future for this podcast is to help share it around. Although, to be honest, I'm going to try and keep doing it for as long as I can anyway. Uh, As a part of this, I've set up a Discord channel, uh, the link to which you'll be able to find in the episode description. A couple of people messaged me to ask for this, and it was an idea that really stuck with me. I'd really love for there to be a place to chat about Dota, the tournaments and the players that's maybe not as fast-paced and as nasty as Twitch chat. So a relatively mature, but still light-hearted and fun area. You can also, I suppose, actually talk about the episodes of Position 6 podcast there, and I'll be hanging out in the channels wherever possible, so if that's any attraction at all, uh, then please come along. Uh, You can give me any feedback, or perhaps even questions for the future guests that can easily be relayed to me there. 
I'm still planning on releasing new episodes every week, and I'm hoping my guest next week is Seven Ucking Mad slash Seb, who, if you don't know for some reason, did just win the international, so he's quite a big deal. Uh, we are still waiting for Valve to pull their bloody socks out and release True Sight before recording, so if they don't do that, we're probably going to have to delay the episode a little bit. Uh, if that does happen, I'll probably be able to find someone else, though with the major it's been quite a struggle to book guests for these weeks, though I do, to be honest, have a wonderful lineup of guests coming up for after the major so i'll see what i'll be able to do for next week but hopefully it'll be a, a wonderful episode with seb but i'll announce everything on twitter so follow me there if you want to find out about that once again i do appear on another podcast called faking lit which you can find on all good podcast platforms it's just an improv show where we mess around and chat about books so if you do want to see a slightly lighter more comedic side to me then please listen to that uh, the intro and outro music was by Bad Bad Not Good, and it was their jazz versions of Electric Relaxation by A Tribe Called Quest and Yonkers by Tyler the Creator. So check those out in full if you enjoyed them. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week.